0: Hey everybody, welcome to the very first episode to Knuckle Buster. To start off, I just wanted to plug the Facebook page. If you could go out and give it a like and follow, that really helps. And also the Instagram, which is knucklebusterap. If you could give that a follow as well, that would be awesome. Now this will help us grow the brand, and you'll be able to stay up to date with all the changes that will come as more and more episodes are released. So with that out of the way, I want to say thank you for listening, thanks for the support, and let's get into it. Welcome everybody to the Knuckle Buster Podcast. Today we have a special guest. His name is Christopher Eckley, and he is with the United States Air Force as myself. Uh, if you want to go and give a little introduction about yourself, Chris. Yep. Uh,
1: like he said, I, we're, we work together. Um, I'm a Guam native. We're both here in Guam right now. I've been in the Air Force for oof, almost 15, 15 years now in a couple of months. <laughs> a real long and, time. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm a lifer, man. Yeah, and, shoot. And, uh, and, then what? and now you're doing the, uh, you're, right now you're a production super, aren't you?
1: Yes, production superintendent. I moved from being a flight chief, which is, for people that don't know, kind of middle management, I suppose. Um, you run a team, basically. Um, and now I'm on more of the uh, work production side of the house rather than the people
0: side of the house. So very clean hands at the end of the day, needless to say. Yes, yes, very, <laughs> very. Well, shoot, I'm super glad that we were able to kind of get our schedules matched up because I know it's been kind of hectic with you working in the middle of the night while I'm sleeping and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. But, but you
1: know, no worries, man. It's a pleasure uh, to, to be here Talk with you about this stuff.
0: No, absolutely. This is 100 percent something that needs to be heard, and people need to get awareness of it. Because even though you know we have all this COVID stuff, like it, we're still going to be in a shortage in the next like three to five years. We're going to be right back to where we were, if not worse. Oh know? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you told us about how you serve. How you said you served 15 years, which is, which is pretty dang great. Because I'm at seven myself, and I already feel like it's just gone by a flash. Has yours gone yeah. by really quick? Uh, yes and no. There were some uh,
1: some uh, points in my career that felt really slow, like uh, 2008 when I was in Korea. That might have been the longest year of my life because of the work tempo and the leadership and a whole bunch of other different things. But other than that, you know, it's been pretty well the it's entire time. Well. Yeah, that's real yeah. good.
0: So just so we'll go ahead and just get started with the beginning of how did you get involved with aviation maintenance?
1: So I come from uh, a pretty big military family. My grandpa was in the Navy. My dad is in the Army. My older sister was also in the Air Force on the officer side, and my older brother was in the Marines. So it's kind of something I've always known I was going to do, um, and I knew since the seventh grade that I wanted to join. The Air Force. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that uh, I wanted to work on planes. So since around like age twelve, I kind of knew that that was the direction that I was I was heading.
0: Right. That yeah. yeah. I, I can definitely say the same thing. Whenever I was nineteen, it was the 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 same thing. My dad was in the Air Force, and then it was just one thing that led to another, and. Next thing I knew, I was raising my right hand and repeating <laughs> after that officer. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, rem- I remember when I went to the uh, recruiter's office after I had taken the ASVAB, and they gave me this booklet, and they're like, here's all the jobs you qualify for. Pick six um, from the one you want the most to the one you want the least or whatever. And I'm looking at this list, and uh, I had some real – real dumb stuff are we allowed to curse on this is this uh is
0: this we're, better? We're, we're trying to keep it on the lesser end of cursing <laughs> okay i'll try i'll keep it clean then but <laughs> i had a bunch of dumb
1: stuff on there like i think i had uh like a nuclear missile maintenance and a bunch of other crazy stuff that really wouldn't translate too well and i remember going home that day and telling my dad he was like uh this job this job and this job take all of those off redo that list (laughs) he already knew (laughs) what was going on (laughs) yeah oh man um so after i went back and changed it i had uh i think i had put fighter avionics as my top choice uh aircraft electrician which i am uh ended up getting which i am now as my number two and uh i think i had bomber avionics number three but i'm glad i ended up in uh uh, air, as an aircraft electrician.
0: Yeah, no, that's super. I mean, ambulance. I'm assuming it's a lot of, it's just like a ton of wires and a lot of uh, liquid oxygen carts from what I've seen here, right?
1: Yeah, we are. So our official duty is aircraft, electrical, and environmental systems. So anything having to do with power generation, cabin air conditioning, pressurization, oxygen, landing gear systems, everyone calls it a, it's E&E for short, everybody calls it everything else because it's the (laughs) one specialty that just has like a whole bunch of different stuff in it. It's not just one thing like avionics or engines or hydraulics or whatever, you know, right? a a ton of stuff that we
0: work on. So yeah, dude, that is super awesome. Uh, I'll definitely say being a sheet metal guy, uh, all we really do is just like rivets and nut plates. I mean, at least you guys get to kind (laughs) of extend out there like while we're pretty pretty selective or just really just in like just the fabricating side of things which i guess could be a plus on the outside but uh so with you being in the military for so long uh i'm assuming you were able to jump into getting your uh, degree completed recently right that is correct i'm a uh proud graduate
1: of Embry riddle
0: I don't know I'm almost there I only got like five classes to go man and I'm already losing my mind I'm surprised you made it the whole way so that's super awesome real happy to hear about that so would you say that uh being in the military was a really good option for you to be able to pursue career or uh be able to pursue a career in maintenance oh yeah uh
1: absolutely um especially because you know um a lot of Aircraft uh, maintenance type schools that focus on that—you have to go through two years of training and a bunch of other stuff. Whereas uh, in the Air Force, you go to like a six-month tech school to whatever whatever your specialty is, <laughs> and then you're out there at working, getting experience. You're not just sitting in the classroom, having right. a classroom. Right, they just cut you loose. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like feed you to the wolves, like sink or swim kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. you Get like this short amount of training. Uh, depending on what your career field is you know it could be like two months to six months and then from there it's just straight hands-on yeah and Um, you really just don't know what's going on (laughs) right right like i remember my very first day on the flight line i was so scared man because like in tech school every block you know they always harp on safety Safety, 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 and right. all we did was watch like a bunch of mishap videos and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna die out on this flight, man. Like, what, what am I getting myself into? You know, effectively then, you know, you
0: get, like PTSD on like. Uh... Yeah.
1: And then yeah, after a while, you're like, man, well, as long as I'm not stupid, you know, I won't end up hurting myself or someone else. So.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I know out here in Guam, there was a there was like an F-18 they were towing and. Uh, I guess with the Marines, they don't tow with like wing walk- wing walkers, and so a bread van truck actually drove was trying to was passing the tug, and it was in the middle of the night, so there were only two lights. And he drove straight into the wing, and it like decapitated one dude. Like oh geez, yeah, yeah, man, that's all super super crazy. Yeah. I know it's just definitely a uh, uh, it's definitely not for everybody. It's definitely cutthroat, I would say, in a sense that. If you're, if you're wrong in your job, depending on how critical you are to that aircraft, if you're wrong in your job, job you know, you, somebody might lose their life. So I definitely see uh, how being in maintenance in the Air Force is like, uh, or I mean really just across the, the military is very uh, professional, extremely like by the book, you know, like when it, whenever we deviate from like our technical order that explains how to do the job, you know. And then right. QA quality assurance catches you and they hem you up and you get yelled at, you know, they, thankfully, you know, they were able to stop that from happening because who knows maybe had they continued that job, maybe that plane would have had a, uh, an unrecoverable, uh, error, you know, mid flight, and maybe some yeah, pilots lost yeah, their man, lives.
1: So some pretty severe consequences for people, uh, missing a step or, you know, not tightening something down or, or whatever the case may be. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Always got to be vigilant, for sure.
0: Yeah. So a uh, question that I've gotten from a viewer of mine is, a, or a listener of mine, I should say. Uh, so with terminations, furloughs, and pay cuts happening all across the aviation network, do you think there will be a quick rebound once a vaccine is found?
1: Oh, man, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Um so the, the aviation side of the house, like both military and civilian were already struggling for maintainers and mechanics before coronavirus happened. Um, and with the airline industry basically almost being at a standstill because of coronavirus and the layoffs, like, it's gonna, it's gonna get even worse, man. Like, I don't know if it's gonna rebound, who knows? Because uh, I think when I was doing my capstone for uh, Embry-Riddle, it was on aviation maintenance shortages. And uh, I, I believe the average age for an aircraft mechanic, civilian side at least, was 55. So retirement age. Yeah. And there were more people retiring than were coming into the workforce. So, you know, it's not looking not looking that great for num- number-wise anyway, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, with sure. that that low supply and real high demand, uh, you know, pay is probably going to be pretty good, but you know, work conditions might be a little a little rough. Yeah. while you're trying to you know maintain a fleet that just keeps getting bigger and bigger as you know
0: more places open up in networks for travel so yeah and more and more people are expected to jump into it and start flying a lot more you know which yeah, is gonna, yeah i mean everybody always hears about the whole pilot shortage pilot shortage but nobody ever thinks about the all the AMPs and you know all the technician repairment that are going to be there and that's just like it's unfortunate that uh it's it's like marketed that way and i mean if you really just something just off the top of my head i'm thinking about it, it's just like do you think like the the tags that are associated with the term mechanic, you know, is something that might, you know, turn people away from it. Cause like some people, you know, when they think of mechanic, they just think of low education, fresh, like just out of high school, doesn't know much about life. They just know how to turn a wrench. And that's it. You know, do you think maybe that might be something that might need to change in the future? Oh yeah, for sure. That's something I absolutely
1: even hit on in my capstone was uh, this attitude in america i don't know i don't know what it's like for the rest of the world but at least in in america there's this attitude that if you don't have a college degree or have a job that requires a college degree um it's it's just looked down upon like it's the the narrative across america is you have to have a college degree to succeed and that's it Um, which is totally not the case because there's so many trade jobs that Pay really well, but because of this stigma attached to trade, like trade jobs in general, it's it's really hurting a bunch of industries.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I'm totally with it. And it's like uh, I had seen a article the other day, and it was saying that that the average school uh, a person will pay about fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars, approximately, with the starting pay of about forty five thousand uh, dollars per year. So. It's just like the 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 debt to the debt to like how much money you're gonna make ratio. You know, it's it's definitely a lot yeah, higher yeah. Than compared. To, you know, pilots where they spend like a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in just training to start off at a job only making like forty 000, fifty thousand dollars. Well, on the right. long run, you know, who who who's really coming out ahead? You know, I guess it really just kind of boils down to the person and what they. Uh, what they want in life, you know, because pilots are always gone a lot, you know, aviation mechanics are also gone a lot, you know, but they also yep. are within the local area to where, you know, they might be able to go home for lunch or, you know, be able to be home for that special event. If they're able to work hard enough, you know, to get off, what have you. Right. But uh,
1: yeah, man, that's,
0: it's, it's so wild. Uh, Just seeing all this uh Corona stuff go on. Cause I definitely think in like the next like three to five years, we'll definitely have our answer of, Either it's going to rebound or we're going to be right back to where we were and we're going to be struggling really hard just trying to find guys. And you only have two right. ways to get it up. It's either uh, it's going to be more money and just worse work conditions <laughs> because, you know, right now with all these guys getting let go, they're going to be all these high-time or high experienced guys. They're going to be picking off all these jobs, you know, at these mid-level and lower-level A&Ps that yeah. they can't get those now, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and, and another thing, too, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's kind of a high bar of entry for aviation mechanic jobs. Because, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of times you could get a mechanic job somewhere without an A&P. You could do like an apprenticeship or they'd take you on and you could get your A&P later. But now a lot of places are, uh, they won't even look at you if you don't have your A&P yeah
0: or i or, you know like with like fedex and uh i know specifically with fedex is that uh they'll allow you to do the apprenticeship to be a aircraft mechanic only if you've been with them pre- previous so if you're after throwing boxes and driving trucks and you you know express yeah your people, that's the only way you'll ever be able to get an apprenticeship other than that it's yeah slim pickings
1: yeah man it's it's And I I understand that um, it needs to be a high bar of entry, especially for the, you know, so many people's lives are, you know, in your head. At
0: least 100 people on average per flight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I understand, but I think the aviation industry needs to find different avenues to entice a younger generation or, like, help people get interested in aviation. Or something to you know attract people and get more people into uh aviation in general
0: yeah no for sure whenever i was looking through uh the FAA's, uh they have a whole active civil airman statistic which uh, breaks down uh how many people are carrying a current certificate right like an amp or a private pilot student license whatever so uh, i was looking through that and i actually seen like over the past like 10 years since it went all the way back from 2010 to 2019 uh, we're actually compared to 2010 2019, we're short about 63,000 p's like 63,000. That is crazy amount of yeah. people that are gone. So, I'm just like, I oh man, uh, how do you even try and recover? Because these are definitely all like just the unsung heroes of the aviation industry nobody ever thinks about them you know like when you're sitting at the airport getting ready to get on your plane there's my amp mechanic a line mechanic yeah. out there you know checking the brakes making sure everything's looking good you know just so the pilots are able to do their job but you know people don't think about that or they think just just too low about it you know
1: yeah you know a lot of people don't know what the pay is, especially for uh, mechanics that work for major airlines or like large companies you know, you know the pays. Is- pretty good a lot of people don't know that and like you're saying earlier people just think of trade jobs or mechanic jobs it's like low skill labor intensive grunt work when it's just really not the case man especially um with airplanes and technology getting better and better every day you know you got to be on the up and up as a mechanic you can't just you know be turning wrenches and that, that's all you know you, gotta, yeah, no. you have to like <laughs> start learning some Programming software and how how to use technology and interfacing with the aircraft, all kinds of stuff. So
0: yeah, and let's give a little bit of a rep to uh, composites. You know, with the new seven eighty seven, the new seven triple seven that just came out, uh, they're they're like seventy percent all composites, like plastics, carbon fiber. And while they are more expensive to produce, they're also lasting twice as long. You know, compared to the metal. And that's something you know that a lot of AMPs that. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of them, they really try and stay away actually from the airframe side of it. They don't, they really do, kind of don't like that. Cause it's just like, uh, if you're, if you're definitely wrong in the airframe side, like a plane could definitely fall apart and somebody for is sure, definitely going sure. down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I know. I just typed in a few, like, just like the starting, uh, how much does an A&P make? And it typically starts at around $30 an hour. And that's, yep. Which <laughs> and is that's great. room to only go up, you know, with more experience. Yeah. Like I know UPS a, like 60 bucks after six years of working with them as an aircraft mechanic.
1: Yeah. That's how, um, like a lot of the major airlines and big companies are doing it. Like you start out 25, $30 an hour and every year that you're with them up to like a cap or whatever, like for example, United Airlines, when I talk to the guys here, um, United was paying their their guys an A, a certified A M P mechanic, twenty five bucks an hour, and then after five years, your pay tops out at fifty dollars an hour,
0: which is insane. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a healthy living. You know, I mean, then for you, sure, especially with, like with how much again going back to like how much debt you're really uh, taking like out on student like student loans or paying out of pocket. You know, to how much like of the earnings there is. You know, because While, you know, being a pilot, there's, uh, the age limit is 65, I believe. And then you have the aircraft mechanic, like, there isn't a max age. It's really until you're just too old and you're not safe anymore. But it's like, (laughs) again, you know, like you said, it's like the average age is like high 50s. with 20% of those guys are 60 plus. And that is uncomfortable. I'm just like, man. So we're having a lot of older guys that that aren't able to move the big tires or do all the crazy stuff. You know, they're out there having to teach these young guys how to be able to do this stuff, but there's just a shortage for these young guys, you know? And so it's just, You know what would really
1: help, man, is if the Air Force or the the military in general made it a little easier for uh, people to get their certification. Like, I've always thought that, if you are in a maintenance career field, you should be able to have some kind of path. Like it should just be part of everybody's upgrade. Yeah, no, absolutely. To, to have like a pathway to get your A and P license. Because I mean you could have 20 years of experience working on an airframe and you don't have your A and P and they'll be like, well, tough luck, man. Sorry. You're not yeah, certified to do you're not certified to do work on an faa licensed aircraft like i mean it's cool that you can work on f-16s with your eyes closed but if you're not certified like we can't take you
0: yeah kick rocks man yeah it's it's i feel like that should definitely be a almost kind of like uh if you serve your country for the four six years you know for the first term as a mechanic you should be able to like almost be granted an a&p now I could definitely see depending on or a little bit more dependent on what job you are. Like if, you know, me being structures, right. I don't see why they couldn't give us just an A, you know, cause that's yeah. everything we're going to pretty much deal with. You know, we make like lines and deal with like hydro. It's just like, we deal with the whole, the whole A and it's just, yeah, it's wild, man. It's definitely yeah. wild.
1: Like what, what I think they should do is whatever your career field is, right. You do your normal upgrade, you get signed off on all your core tasks, five five journeymen and craftsmen, whatever. But then create a training path for you to hit all the other areas you don't have in the event that you want your a Like here's where you got to get signed off in this amount of time. Here's what you got to, or this next block. Here's what you need. And eventually culminate in an A&P um, instead of the current process that we have now, which is for people that aren't, I can't speak for other branches, but for the Air Force, you sign up, you do these three online general courses, and then they send you a packet of tasks you have to get qualified on, and then you're able to go test, which, I mean, this is good and all, but not a lot of people even know about it. But if we had something in place where we could literally somehow get every maintenance person... An A&P qualification after X amount of years and X amount of training, you know, it'd make transitioning to civilian life easier too, especially if you aren't planning on doing 20 years in the
0: military. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, you think with all the, uh, you know, vets that get out, you know, that are aircraft mechanics, you know, like like you said, if they don't have an A&P, they're just as good as... Just as good as their experience, I guess, you know, just like, all right, cool. Yeah, you're really just management. You can't really work on a 767 or 757, yep. none, none of that stuff. So it's just like, it's it's really hard to be able to get that uh, translate. And that's what I was looking for. So it's yeah, really hard yeah. to be able to translate over to the other side. So now to kind of shift over or catch another gear, if you will, for the next question, it's going to be uh, from. The uh, what was his name. Uh, what should the next generation of technicians know when considering maintenance? Hmm.
1: I think first and foremost, you have to understand that it's uh it's going to be labor intensive. No matter what kind of aircraft you're working, like be ready to work long hours and have some tough, tedious jobs here and there. Um, you know, especially with older legacy aircraft yeah stuff is, is uh it's it's it can get a little tough
0: and get a little tough for sure you know also being able to like just be flexible and be kind of like open-minded you know for working the office because i know like i've seen with a lot of the the newer generation that's coming up is uh Nobody wants to work the off shift. Nobody wants to work from three p.m. to eleven p.m. or midnight. You know, or the midnight shift to seven a.m. You know, that's just yep. like uh, almost kind of like the rite of passage. You know, with yeah, especially
1: as the as a new guy. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No. Especially and, uh, you're paying your dues, man.
1: Like on the uh, mo- most bases on a on a regular base uh, basis, usually have day shift line. So at the end of the day, most of the maintenance gets done uh, in the late afternoon to the late night. So that's definitely where you want to be if you really are keen on learning your actual job. So
0: Yeah, because now you have no hog and pony show, you know, of somebody walking up on you to come out and say hello and waste (laughs) your time from working, man. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me in my life i will be working on something and then you have know, the commander come walking by and you're like, Oh, <laughs> hello, sir. How's it going? And you talk for 20 minutes and then you realize, wow, I am way behind on this job now. Thanks, sir. Have a great day. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like
1: you said, man, I think being flexible and having an open mind and being ready and willing to work is, is the best advice I could give someone uh, that's thinking about coming into maintenance, like, you know, really know what you're getting into before you decide to hop in because, you know, if you don't, you're going to have a bad time of
0: it. Yeah. You're going to have a real rough go of it. I know it's, uh, (laughs) yeah. With uh, coming into, coming into the maintenance side, like the, like the very first day of just taking on like, all right, cool. You have to go work this all by yourself. And you're like, you have to do what? Like, Hey, you have an A&P, right? Yep. Okay, I'll go figure this out. Sounds good, yep. you know. But I mean, I will say at least you know with also within the or within the maintenance uh, world is like everybody is very much uh, like trying to help each other out, you know, because they, they all have, everybody obviously wants to try and get this whatever plane they're working on turned around and out of the hangar. So if you need help in something or you got questions, uh, another technician would have absolutely no sort of uh, hesitation <laughs> to be able to help out. So at least like there's definitely that. So most guys, you know, they're not going to be just totally left in the dark, but it's the only way you learn is throwing them in there and letting them sink or swim, you know? Yep. For sure. But now that we're starting to come towards the end of the podcast, uh, I do have one last question. And so in your opinion, what is the worst aircraft you've ever worked on and why?
1: Worst aircraft I've ever worked on? Gosh. Hmm.
0: So I've only ever, I've only,
1: uh, I've worked on, uh, a-10s, majority A-10s, and uh, C-130s, uh, and different variations of the C-130s. But uh, while I was in Yokota, which is an air base in Japan, um, we did all the isochronal inspections for uh, Yokota and Kadena, which is another Air Force base in Okinawa. Um, and I can't remember if it was the... So what it was is it was either the talon 2 or the shadow I can't remember exactly which which variant it was but there's a a space right under the flight deck that everyone calls the hell hole because it's about 12 inches wide and like maybe three, oh, dear. three, three feet tall and there's just racks of components and a bunch of other stuff in that tiny crawl space <laughs> Uh so it's it's terrible to fit in there already. Even if even even as a small person, you'd still have a little trouble. But like I was saying, I can't remember if it was on the talent 2 or the Shadow, but at the very far end of that little crawl space, to the left on the bottom, there's a, a bunch of trays with components on it. And at the bottom is the inverter. And that thing went bad one time. And my God, it was the most terrible job on Jeez, planet Earth. Man. Because right... <laughs> Right in front of the inverter, there's a piece of metal that's riveted onto the tray for God knows what reason that is (laughs) level with the inverter. So you can't, like, and the the inverter's bolted to this tray underneath. So you have really no way to get under this inverter to take those (laughs) bolts off without taking out a million other different things. So it was the biggest pain in the ass. Yeah,
0: it's that uh... it took, uh, it took
1: <laughs> hours and hours and you know, at Yakota we were just working regular C130Hs, no mods, no nothing. Um, so those those C130s did not have that plate in front of it and the inverter wasn't in that weird location. But these was a Talon 2, Shadows whatever it was, I don't remember. I even asked their uh, electricians like hey, how do you guys normally take this out? Because we don't work on this variant here, Yakota. you guys have any uh, insight, any tricks to get this thing out? They're like, not really. You kind of just have to take everything off around it to get to it. I'm like, oh, geez. Yeah, that's no terrible. big,
0: man. Go ahead and just get after it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that i guess that's always a little little stab to maintainers you know it's we all love yeah. engineers you know like oh yeah let's just put it there because you know we don't have to work on it yeah thanks, <laughs> engineers, you guys are awesome
1: like oh it fits right there doesn't affect the weight and balance
0: yeah we'll put it right there <laughs> yeah well um, hey i really do appreciate you coming on to the ep onto the podcast uh, it was a real big joy having you. Uh, did you have any other, uh, closing remarks I'm or anything sure, you wanted man. to say? Uh, do no, you know, thanks for, thanks for having me on. And,
1: uh, you know, if you ever need someone to talk to again in the future about anything aviation related, you know, I'm always here. Um, and yeah, I hope everybody had a good time listening and maybe learned something
0: a little yeah. here and there. Yeah, for sure. I know with, the, with being on the Anchor app, they have a, like a little voice section. So for all the listeners that are currently listening, if you have any questions for Chris or you'd like me to ask in the future, please feel free to utilize that link and uh, go ahead and ask it. All right. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. And that will conclude today's podcast. This is a very special podcast to me as this was the very first episode to the Knuckle Buster. I really do appreciate those who are listening. And if you haven't already, please consider following and subscribing. Take care, everybody.